he's stupid and therefore me. I mean, like I could make that mistake. In fact, I would make that. I would definitely think, oh yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do great things when I get there. And then if that doesn't work out, I'm gonna go to the other side and I'm gonna do great things and it's gonna be great. Hey, Diana Brunello Leary here. In my conversation with Christopher Wood, we talked about changing careers. Later, we talked about the importance of writing what you're passionate about, which led Chris to write a screenplay on African-American soldier David Fagan, someone I'd never heard of. So we produced this bonus episode. The Fagan story takes place in the 1890s. You'll hear Chris provide some historical context, and in doing so, he quotes a label from that era that uses the N-word. Since racism is part of this soldier's story, we left that in. Just a heads up. Here we go. When you talk about the writing then, is that what the David Fagan project is all about? And can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that's that's where Fagan comes from. Fagan is just such an interesting character. He's he essentially is, I could say, me or Obama, young college educated kid in the late eighteen uh, eighteen nineties, and he had that same sort of, in, in my view, from my limited research or in my story. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, if we fought alongside white soldiers, then respect would grow. And that would solve the race problem in the U.S. That's literally, and that's that's the idea of a 22-year-old. It's not mm-hmm. a bad idea. Yeah. There's there's press uh, precedent for it. Indeed, part of the reason why I argued he felt that way is because there was a troop called um, the Kansas Ninth, otherwise known uh, as the Nigger Ninth, uh, that fought and saved Teddy Roosevelt's troops on San Juan Hill, and they were huge. That Teddy Roosevelt's troops even though they're supposed to have run up San Juan Hill and they were pinned down. And uh, the ninth broke ranks against the rules and they ran and rallied the troops and they won that battle. And blacks got huge props for that, both among themselves and among the military who knew. And I, I posited that Fagan would know that. So that's why he went to the Philippines. Mm. And as, you know, dreams of a young man of greatness <laughs> collide with reality. Yeah. Um, much like uh, today. It doesn't work out that way. Not it, much has it, changed. Precisely. But the interesting thing about Fagan was obviously he was disappointed with what he saw of his fellow troops. And he defected and went over to the other side and rose to the level of general and was so effective as a warrior and a leader that the U.S. wouldn't sign the armistice, I believe, without his head. They said, we won't, uh, against the insurgents, we will not stop fighting until you give us David Fagan's head because we don't feel safe. They, I, there is mixed view on how this worked out. It's argued that a shrunken head was just given to them and they were like, yeah, it looks like Fagan, let's go. <laughs> close uh, enough. So close enough. They called it, but you have, I mean, if you're going to, there's one thing operating in the jungle in Vietnam during the Vietnam War. This is much earlier and probably much worse circumstances in terms of just infrastructure and ability to, uh, to survive in the conditions that you would have to fight. 
And he rose to the level of general and was the last to give up. Mm. That is an extraordinary... This kid who wants to fight side by side with whites to bring whites and blacks together becomes the living nightmare of the U.S. Army in the Philippines. That's just... He's stupid and therefore me. I mean, like, I could make that mistake. In fact, I would make that. I would definitely think, oh, yeah, I'm going to... I'm going to do great things when I get there. And then if that doesn't work out, I'm going to go to the other side and I'm going to do great things and it's going to be great. And, uh, you know, the uh, sort of the young man's lament, um, glory through war, which which tends not to work out very well. Uh, so I just found that to be an engaging story. Um, and that was one of the first huge writing projects I had. Mm-hmm. And, then, and it, it has not been made, but it was a compelling story that got a fair amount of play in different studios at the time. And that was before now when people weren't particularly looking for that kind of, uh, that kind of product. Yeah. So, and also here was the interesting thing at the time, the big question was, well, who, who could possibly play Fagan? There are no upcoming young African-American stars. I mean, that's only 10 years ago. But there were you did not have that. Everyone was saying, well, we need a young Will Smith. And there wasn't one. There was Will Smith. Yeah, that was it. Uh, Now, that's not true. Yeah. So. So those are the kind of things. But even with the short films that I've done, they've always many of them have had um, a racial component because I think when you put your own voice into it, that's the only thing that makes it interesting. I'm not an incredibly talented uh, writer such that, you know, what, write a story about a Dixie cup? It's going to be genius. That's <laughs> that's someone else. There are those writers. I'm not one of them. So the only thing I would have to offer is what what is it that I think about or believe in that other people find ridiculous or weird or stupid or misplaced that's what you want to write about because that's your own voice the people go what did you just say that's your story even though people don't get it the value of it is that they don't that they didn't get it meaning they're not thinking along those lines now you have to employ skills so you walk them down the path but um you have something interesting to say uh, I had one short film which did well in, in the festival circuit, and that's pretty much all it did, but it was uh, called um, Her First Black Guy, which is a hmm. scandalous title. Okay. Uh, but then <laughs> on the bottom, of it's the story of the guy who wanted to be anything but Her First Black Guy. Oh, So that's, that's sort of, a, a, you know, you have 10 minutes, and that's your, a bit of your reverse. And... That's just a me story. Well, and you also sound so passionate about some of these stories. And that is a big part of it, too, is writing what you're passionate about, writing what you are curious about. And then hopefully the right producer, the right director will also be equally intrigued. And then you've got a partnership. Sure. Yes. And and also the part of the reason, the main reason you want to be passionate is going to take so long to make it. I mean, I'm a little faster now, but... I think Time to Kill, which my, was my first short, um, we were a year before that got up. Yeah. Uh, so if you were, if you had a milk toast view on it, well, you'd be spending a year with milk toast. 
and that's not very that's not very fun. David Fagan was my first screenplay, and I really went through a lot of drafts. It was a couple of years that both essentially a writing school for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I always loved the story as I still get passionate about it to this day. But if I didn't love the story, oh my gosh, three years of dreck. I mean, that'd be a, that'd be a nightmare. Well, that would be uh, misery, which is what yes. you had in your 20s, which is and what you ran to avoid. Precisely, precisely. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Job Talk Weekly. Get your questions answered by visiting our website. That's jobtalkweekly.com. And we'd love it if you would please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can find Job Talk Weekly on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diana Brunello-Leary. See you next time.